for sticking with us in this second season of ours again i know i keep talking about us being gone for 10 months and everything but we are running head forward into everything um as everyone can see uh to the reapcast listeners um we're a part of a network now um where we partnered with if you've been living under a rock we've partnered with the fade to gray network um and a bunch of great podcasts there so um it's an exciting, exciting time. And we're even doing some stuff with uh, Too Many Podcasters, um, another great collective of people who are just with it. Um, I, I never thought I'd get to a point in my life where I'd see so many people that want really the best for humanity, whether it be through the church, whether it be through whatever, that just want humanity to survive and really love each other. Um, and so, so yeah, uh, and the cool thing is that leads us to today a little bit. Um, we have Mr. Derek Day with us um, from Too Many Podcasters, and I also now believe uh, Heretic Happy Hour. You are correct. Heck yeah. Um, so Derek, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, what you got going on. Well, uh, thank you for uh, inviting me, Clay. It's good to be here. Uh, my name is Derek Day. I'm a, I'm a former pastor. Uh, I am a husband, a father, um, an executive for a software company, and an author and speaker. And um, I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion, which you can get that on Amazon. And I'm also um, a member of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, uh, a member of too many podcasts. And I also have my own podcast, which is called Love Forward. Uh, that is on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean, and um, and also I'm the author of the Love Minus Religion blog on Pathos. Oh, that's awesome! I did not know that. Yeah, that's awesome. Heck yeah, man! Um, so, how long have you been um, in this this field? I know you mentioned you're an author, and I know that's usually a long play type of thing. Um, yeah. When, when did that change from, I guess, you know, talking on paper to, you know, I want to say this for you? Well, I, I finished my book in 2016, and I want to say it took about four years to write. Um, and, and it's funny because now what I know, I can actually churn out books faster. Uh, the problem <laughs> is, is that I, I have more responsibility work-wise. And, right. and in addition to all of that, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father of five sons. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of time invested in other things. Right. So it's not, not so easy to just sit down and write. But um, I've been in quote-unquote ministry uh, for a little over 20 years now. Okay. And um and I've been on the path of deconstruction 
I want to say for the last 10 years. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Deconstruction is, um, I don't know. We're still in it. I think me and my wife thought we were out of deconstruction just to realize we're just in like the eye of the storm of deconstruction. Yeah. You know, like we, we came out of all the Christian bull crap in the fundamentalism and everything. And we're like, Oh, this is great. This is really cool. And then we look across and like, Oh, it's not over yet. There's more, yeah. but, <laughs> but we're excited about it though. You know, it's not like a bad thing. It's just really exciting. Um, but I think honestly, I, th- I think that's, that goes right along with kind of what we're talking about today. Um, because so today we're going to talk about the church as always here on Reapcast. Um, (laughs) we're going to talk about how they miss their chance and you can fill in that blank of what they have missed because I don't think there's anything they haven't missed it on personally. Yeah. Um, but right now we have multiple hot button topics. We have COVID, um, which has been politicized and religionized and all these sorts of things. Um, we have a black lives matter movement. Um, we have in so, uh, LGBTQ plus movements going on right beside that even now. Um, plus all these things. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to, we're going to talk about how they missed their chance, how have they done it? And then, you know, kind of what should we do in response to all that? So, sure. So what do you think, Derek? Um, do you think the church is, let's say, let's start with um, LGBTQ plus. Let, let's start with that. Have, has a church missed its chance to properly respond and properly get in? I hate saying this, this term. It's only to say uh, fall in line with mm-hmm. what, what the Bible actually says. You know, um, have they missed that chance to do that at this point? You know, I, I don't believe that the church has missed its chance I think that they hobbled their start that um, and, and I have to admit some guilt in this because I used to be an apostolic word of faith kind of guy. And, and, and I used to parrot that, that awful line, you know, God didn't make Adam and oh, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, that bullshit. Right. And, right. Um, and so I, I believe that I have a, a bit of culpability in, in hobbling the church. And, and for that, for, for all of you listeners that, um, that happen to be, you know, brothers and sisters that are LBTQ, LBTQ, um, LGBTQ, that I apologize for, for my part in that. Um, I believe that all humanity are God's creation, that we're all God's children. And, and that God is no, is literally no respecter of persons, which means that um, God is not bothered or troubled by our, our sexuality. Right. Uh, he, he made us to be sexual beings and, and for us to enjoy our, our sexuality. So however right. that, um, however that plays out in your life, that's, uh, that's entirely your thing. So um I, I believe that there is an opportunity for the church to uh, to reach out and to uh, to not just not just extend olive branch because I think that that does a horrible disservice, but to actually step out and and proactively say, "Listen, we love you right where you are, just as you are. We embrace you. 
we affirm you and and we want you to know that you are loved valued and accepted here and and i think that that's something that the church desperately uh needs to do because um to be honest um institutions only grow old with youth right oh wow and and right yeah. now we're seeing a, a change in how, uh, you know, Generation Z, they, how they see uh, things, how millennials see things. And, and if the church is going to be relevant to those populations, then they have to um, look at the things that are important um, to these groups. And, and one of the things that is important to both um, uh, Gen Z and, and millennials is sexual freedom and 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 not just sexual freedom but um a deconstruction of gender roles and all of that and and the church has to embrace that because if they don't they'll lose young people and as their older adherents die off uh they'll they'll begin to decline and eventually they'll they'll reach a point of complete irrelevancy which they're on the path to that now but there's there's an opportunity to change and uh and that would happen uh through the affirm uh, affirmation and acceptance of the lgbtq community right on no i uh man i 100 percent agree um speaking as a, a 30 year old millennial now um you know um yeah and i think you're 100 right and i'm right there with you um, so I spent many years in my early twenties, you know, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, you know, I was right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought that was weird, but I knew someone I trusted and respected said otherwise. So I'm going to trust and respect them and just agree with them. Yeah. And it honestly took me getting to know, um, a good friend, uh, a friend of mine, uh, well, you know, him, Seth Show Walter, yeah. um, getting to know Seth getting to know uh, another guy, Ethan Thomas, um, and getting to know these people and understand and just, they just want to be human. Sure. That's it. That, that, that's it. That's all they want to be. They don't want to be treated any differently, any special. They just want humanity. Exactly. And it's, and it's that simple. It's not this big biblical answer that we most people love and most churches love to give of how we have to treat them and approach them. You know, um, like, uh, like what is it this week or this past couple of weeks, um, we do an online church called forgotten church and mm-hmm. we are LGBTQ affirming and we blatantly came out and said that. And then I stepped back and I'm like, why do I even have to say that? Like, why is that even a thing churches have to do? You know, it's like playing by the rules almost of, like you said, that older generation who, set up all these things who they're refusing to come into these things. That's kind of that Mm -hmm. method. And, uh, and realizing it's like, you know, we don't, we don't have to, we just have to be, you know, we just have to love them and that's it. You know, if, if we understand, if we understand that humanity is all about being and not about doing that, that when we understand that we see the being of people and and when when we do that we we not only and and this is the thing you know let's stop trying to affirm along 
uh, sexual orientation or along racial lines or along gender lines even. But let's just say that we affirm humanity, that we, we simply love you right where you are, just as you are, that you don't have to change anything. And then, you know, and take a step back. I, I, as, a, as I'm an engineer by training, and so I like to reverse engineer things. You know, I like to <laughs> right. see how they work. And, and so when I look at the Bible, what the, the, the construction of the Bible was done in such a way to manipulate and control uh, populations. It, it wasn't intended to be a, 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 a moral beacon or a guide for living. Uh, it was literally engineered for the purpose of control. So when we stop and look at that and reverse engineer it, then we say, okay, what, what does the Bible say that actually yields in a controlling result? And there we say, okay, at this point, we're going to sit this down. Uh, not necessarily. Now, I, I said, on, I just got off my live cast on Facebook. And basically, <laughs> I, I, I actually said, you know, that, hey, we could, you know, shit can entire parts of the Bible. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's actually how I feel. But if we didn't do that, let's say if we were to uh, keep the, uh, the canon of scripture, that we could say, okay, these are things that we can shelve, that we could sit down and say that they're, they're a topic for um, analysis and consideration at a later time, right? But right, they're they're not they're not relevant right now, or they're or they may be more hurtful right now. So um, the the thing is, is humanity longs to be loved because we are made of love, and because God is love. And if God is love, then that means that we too must be love. And so as a result, we have a need to A, be loved, right? But we also have the need to be love. And when we, when we set aside all of the dogmatic things, all of the doctrinal things, all of the instructional things, and all of the rules, and just begin to look at, okay, let's start with the person of Jesus and say that we're going to, we're going to build a model for humanity, a paradigm for humanity around that, around him, and, and, and basically just kind of sit everything else down until, un, until it either makes sense or we decide that it, it's no longer relevant. Dude, that is, um, you, you, you stopped my brain there for a minute. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is incredibly profound. So like, like as you were saying that something occurred, um, you know, so as we're growing up in the church, we're always told God is love and the Bible is a love letter. Right. But that's all we ever hear about that. Like it stops right there. We don't, we don't go further than that. Um, at least where, where I grew up in, in church and everything or my time in the standard modern American church, that's all that was said and that was it. Mm -hmm. But you explaining it that way, that um but here's the thing is that's revolutionary the, is the bible really is the bible really a love letter and and that that's where one of the things that um that i kind of hit on in my deconstruction because i began to consider okay is this really inspired by god 
see there there's this thing and I, i've said this before in, in in sermons that i preached i say you have learned to discern whether what you're hearing is really god or is it the bad mayonnaise that was on your sandwich that you ate last night you see because indigestion can cause you to think improperly and if you're thinking right. improperly then you might perceive something improperly and what sounds like the voice of god may really be just a rumbling in your tummy and you have to <laughs> right. learn how to discern the difference so the thing is, is that what I've learned is that, or this is my belief. Let me say that. Let me, that, that, let, let me not say that I learned <laughs> that it's empirical, but this is my belief that the Bible is not necessarily inspired by God. No, or no, no more than something written by Clay or something written by Derek or something written by Seth that you know, when uh, Keith Giles had put it really succinctly, he said that, that when you look at that, uh, that scripture in Timothy, where it says, you know, all scripture is inspired by God, but let's say, let's say if you re-engineer that and, and not say all scripture is inspired by God, but you say all scripture inspired by God, that means that anything that, that we write or think about or speak of now today also is part of that canon of scripture. In other words, that the canon never closes, that, that every time somebody, when Rob Bell writes a book, when Brian Zahn writes a book, when Brad Jersek writes a book, that, that this too is scripture, that this too is God-breathed, that this too is inspired. So, so now the, the, that the, the canon of scripture or, or that the Bible is not the exhaustive end. It's just, it's just a part of. That's one way of looking at it. But then the other is, okay, that when you go back and look at it, uh, for example, you find that Moses had a lot of biases, uh, that Samuel had biases, mm -hmm. um, that uh, that the prophets, all of the prophets had biases. Um, uh, you know, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They you, you can see, you can listen, you can read their words, and you can see their ethnic biases. You can see their um, cultural biases. You can see their geographical biases. And so all of these people are writing from a, from a particular perspective that's unique to them. And it includes all of their own personal idiosyncrasies. So when you start including human idiosyncrasies into the text, then you have to say, okay, this may not be inspired of God. This is just simply somebody's interpretation of a series of events. So, so, so basically, I kind of vacillate between those two, uh, those, those two uh, spaces. You know, one is that, okay, yeah, if the, if the Bible is inspired, this is not all that's inspired, that, that the canon of, of Scripture is continued to, continuing to be written, or that, uh, that everybody's writing from their own biases and none of it is inspired, or it might be inspired, but it's not holy. None of it's, you know, sacrosanct. It's just basically somebody wrote something. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I see, I'm still on that fence. Um, and I, I guess it's because like I, like we were talking a, a little bit before, I'm, we're in, I, I guess I'm in the eye of the storm of deconstruction, you know, um, like I'm at the point now where I know on the other side of the rest of this storm, I might be atheist. Like I've come to terms with that fact mm -hmm. um, because I believe that's the first, once you're in the eye of the storm, that's the first step we have to make is I am willing to be atheist on the other side of this mm -hmm. because I, I have to go through the rest of that. I've started this journey you know, it's like Sam, Samwise and Frodo with the ring, 
you know, they didn't get to the base of the mountain and be like, yeah, fuck that. I'm out, you know, and just leave. <laughs> no, they kept going because they have come too far to stop. Yeah. And so that's, you know, kind of where I feel going, but you know, I, I had to turn to my wife and she turned to me and it's like, you know, we, we might be atheists by the end of the time this is over and, and that's okay. Yeah. There's uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, no. this is, this is the thing that, um, you know, some I forget who is it that wrote this. It's some it's somebody I know that I, I, I frequently discuss with things with, but they call themselves a Matthew Di Stefano, atheistic theist, is the term, <laughs> and and so it's you know it, it's okay to have ditched all of the theology, but hang on to God, you know, and, and that's kind of like where I am right now. A matter of fact, I I, I say. Uh, my my Friday Night Live, I call it Freeology Friday, and it's freedom from theology or free theology, depending on where. Which I'm leaning more toward freedom from theology because right, I, right. what what I what I think we need to delve more into is what I call divine anthropology. In other words, okay. I look at you and I see the God in you, and and so because I see this God in you, I I. I extend a form of worship toward you respect honor love right right and, and so i i see this and so i'm more concerned with understanding clay than i am with understanding this nebulous god because the reality is the nebulous god is bigger than i can comprehend i can't i can't put this into a uh a, a, a microcosm that's study that that that's observable and studyable, right? right? But you, on the other hand, I can I can learn your likes, your dislikes. I can I can learn why you say what you say and and why you know what what drove you to to podcasting, for example. So I can study some things and understand you. And so as a result of understanding you, I can love you more effectively. Which I break down love into elemental components: empathy and compassion. Right. Right. So that right. means that now I can have empathy toward you, seeing things through your eyes, walking a mile in your footsteps, and I can care. I can have compassion. I can give a fuck. Right. Right. That's right. The, that's the that's the beauty of it. So I'm looking more at like divine anthropology than trying to figure out theology. I'm like, you know, honestly, fuck theology at this point. <laughs> it's really it's really all about it's it's all about you, man. <laughs> See, but that's so like, like, so there's some, there's a small, small me inside of me going, that is some bullshit. But like yeah. the rest of me goes, that's the most like, like even, so even reading the Bible, we see a lot of pointings towards that though. Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned Samuel, uh, our church is, is one of, we started in a book and I love Samuel. I love the story of it the yep. the dramaticness you know just kind of how that worked and it was kind of the first essence of the church is fucked up it needs fixing moment in the old yep. testament um mm -hmm. yeah and so but you can even see like like samuel started caring about people over all these rights and things as the last high priest and judge of israel he even started caring about people more because he started a circuit Instead of just staying at Shiloh or staying in a spot where he lives, which was with his parents, he started a circuit and would travel and go see people. And that yeah. was unheard of back in the day. Like you went to him. He never came to you. Right. And so like 
even that, because you have to go, why would he do that? Well, because he valued people more because he wanted to get to know them more. So like that is even evidence of what you're saying is that, um, that anthropology right there of getting to know people to see God, yeah. because we are told we're, we're made in his image and if we're made in his image and then given the Holy spirit, you know, which is usually taught very bogglingly and they're pulling rabbits out of hats to try to explain it to you. Um, it makes more sense that way, that if I get to know Derek, I, I get to know God better because Derek is doing his best to live as a good human and love people. So yeah. I can knowingly go and go, this is what God must be like because he's made in the image of God. And, and, you know, so I don't know that, that just seems, and usually I'm the one making really simple statements, but that is too simple. Like that is too logically simple. And I, dude, you're rocking my head here. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Like that's amazing. But like <laughs> that is, that, that's a, that is brilliantly poetic. Um, and um, even with canonization, looking at the canonization, you know, always wondering why did it stop? And then looking at the verses literally like the ones that are written literally and going, oh my God, it hasn't. You know, um, yep. like like one of the things we, me and Julia have been discussing is, you know, is this the time God has stopped speaking, blah, 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 that whole thing you're taught in church, you know, God has went silent. But then yeah, he's not the a light. 400-year silence. <laughs> yeah, like, but it's always been the 400-year silence. Before this 400 years, it was the last 400-year silence. Mm -hmm. You know, so that never changes. So if that never changes, then how did it stop? You know, because we started questioning the Apocrypha and like, okay, those are mm -hmm. God-inspired. But what's the difference between God-inspired and God-written? Really, yeah. what's the difference? You know, when at the core, God says, I am, and that's all you need to know. That's it. You know, you there, know? there are only two cases where God actually wrote something in the Bible, right? And, and one is in Exodus where, where um, it said that the first set of tablets were written by the finger of God. Yeah, and then Moses, Moses just wrote. needed those damn things. And, and then, um, you know, Moses came down from the, um, uh, came down from the mountain and saw everybody partying like it was 1999 <laughs> and he got pissed off and threw the, threw the tablets down. But then it says that the second set of tablets were written by Moses. So, well, you know, I, I think that, you know, basically if God wrote it with his hand, God probably said, okay, here's the deal guys, just love, love each other, just love each other. Right. And, uh, but Moses saw all of this and he says, okay, I got to give you guys some rules. <laughs> you know, So that was, that was the first time. And then the second time you see God actually writing something, Jesus is kneeling down in the sand with the woman who was accused of adultery. Right. And he's writing something. Now, in, in neither case do we actually see what God has written. We don't know what God actually wrote. In neither case. All we know is that, that in, in the case of Moses, Moses got pissed and broke it. Right. So we don't know what God right. wrote there. And then Jesus was writing this in the sand. And I don't know. The wind was blowing or, you know, at the end, he just kind of waved his hand and swept it all away. And we don't know. And, and so um, to, to try to put a lot of weight on this as if all of this is God breathed, God inspired, 
you know, there's, there's a, a passage in the book of Numbers where it says, and this man Moses was more humble than any other man. Uh, but here, this is written by Moses, ostensibly. <laughs> so here, here Moses is kind of giving himself a pat on the back. Yeah, I'm a real humble dude, man. Like a holy you know, reach it, around. It's like one of those things where you connect the dots, it really doesn't make sense. Right. So, um, and, and then I think about things like this. This is another one. One of my favorites. We're talking about Samuel. I like the whole, the whole, Sam, the, the story of Samuel and, and, uh, and Saul and David, you know, it's a, uh, it's a really wonderful story, but um, here it, 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 you know, uh, Samuel tells uh, Saul to go and kill these people called the Amalekites. Right. And, yeah. and he says, he says, yeah, God told me to tell you to go and kill these people. And he said, don't spare any of them. Well, you know what I was thinking? I said, you know, that 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 really if you look at that through the lens of jesus that doesn't really make sense because jesus would never tell you to go and and you know he would never order a hit on anybody right right you know he's you know he's the representative of god the father not the godfather right so <laughs> so he's you know telling he, you know there's he's the promo telling, clip <laughs> um, samuel uh, or samuel's telling saul go kill these people and he's and, and, and watch this this is what's really amazing he says don't spare any of them and he actually tells them cut the cup the babies out of the wombs of the mothers in other words here's god oh. giving an instruction for abortion you know th this is this is heavy right wow and, okay yeah. and so yeah so so here god is given this instruction and and saul goes out and he does it but he doesn't do it completely you know, he has a moment of compassion or a moment of clarity. I don't know what you want to call it, but he says, okay, I'm going to spare some of the women. I'm going to spare some of the servants and I'm going to spare the king because the king is the trophy, right? He's right. thinking like a chess player, right? Yeah. <laughs> Capture the king. So <laughs> here he's, he's, he's doing all of this and, and, and Samuel gets pissed. He says, because you've done this, you know, and and then later, uh, Saul goes and sacrifices on his own. Oh my God! He tries to interface with God directly. How dare he go outside the priesthood? And 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 so finally, Samuel's like, you know, listen, I'm done with your ass. Your kingdom is done. You're you're done. So I'm thinking. I said, okay, here's the deal. I said, number one, um, Saul decides that he's going to help anoint a king. So he's going to be a kingmaker. Right. God never tells him to do that. That so so that's one thing. Then the, and or and then he's kind of kowtowing to the will of the people. Give us a king. Give us a king. So that's one. Then he he gives Saul this command to go kill the Amalekites. I think the Saul or the or the Samuel probably got beat up or bullied by the Amalekites when he was a kid, and he had a heart, he had a real hard on for him. <laughs> so he's like, okay, I've got this king with all this power. So what's good? What the, what's the good of having power if you can't flex? Right? right. So he decides to flex and he's like telling, you know, he tells Saul, go and kill them all and not just kill them. I want you to kill them this way. He's right. very specific. So, so is that, and then when you go back and you fast forward to Jesus and you look at Jesus, Jesus in, 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 in Luke chapter nine actually criticizes, rebukes James and John for wanting to call down fire from heaven. And he says, you don't know what spirit you were of dog. This, this is a, this is, you know, the son of man has come to save people, not destroy them. You know, he's like, so, so all of this fire from heaven and all of this destruction and everything that was in the past, Jesus said, he said, you've heard it said, but I say, in other words, Jesus said, you've heard all these stories, but I'm here to set the record straight. My dad's not like this. Papa's not like this. 
Right. You know, I'm going to show you what he's really like. And so what you heard about Saul, this is not, this can't be right. Because here's the thing. If Jesus says, I and the father are one, and he says the son only does what he sees the father doing, then that means Jesus had to be killing some people. He had to be. Right. Because yeah. if, he, if, he, if he wasn't, if he never did, then he really wasn't, he never saw the father killing anyone. And Jesus' purview was like God outside of time. In other words, the timeline for us, we, we, we only see linearly, but, you know, Jesus sees it in a, in a, in a, in a curve sense. So he sees the right. entire timeline. So he says, the son only does what he sees the father doing. Present tense. Doing. Yeah. And so, so for Jesus, it's always the present tense because he's outside of time. So, so therefore, a lot of the things that we ascribe to God in the Old Testament could not have possibly been God. <laughs> and so, so that's what it, it throws the whole thing on, you know, on its ear, on its ear because, you know, okay, so how much of this was really inspired by God, and how much of it was really written by people, and that is the question yeah because i mean i mean you're 100 percent right in the fact of like it, it does turn it on its head on a astronomical scale um i mean it, it's literally throwing baby out with the bathwater and going no we're done and and that's not wrong um because when you look at it um and you you look at Old Testament versus New Testament. And like you just said, how Jesus goes, you know, this is how it is. I'm telling you how it is. Stop, stop telling me how it is. Cause I've told you, you know, um, which reminds me of like working for my, right. It's like working for my, my grandfather. He's like, why are you doing that? Well, my cousin over there told me to do it this way. He goes, did I tell you to do that? No, I'm telling you how to do that. You know, and he's, and, and that's what it, that's what it is. You know, which I mean, like I'm sitting here thinking through this as you're talking and I'm like, oh God, that's wow. Okay. And then realizing like, what if, what if the old Testament is God inspired to show us one, how fucked up humanity is and how, how rotten people are rotten people that need love Mm -hmm. and hence Jesus love. And honestly, what if it's just God's funny way of going, look, you're going to really have this thing called a soap opera. I'm just going to be the hipster and like do it first. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way of looking at it because honestly, you know, when, when I, when I put on, I, I always tell people like my glasses, I have to wear these glasses in order to read. Now, if, if I need to drive, I can drive without these glasses. If I want to go to the target range and go shooting, you know, I can, I can shoot tight groups without my glasses. Right. Um, you know, I can, I can do all kinds of things without my glasses, but if I'm going to read something, I need these glasses because otherwise I'm going to mess up the words. So, so when I'm, when I'm looking at, at scripture, I have to look at it. I have to put my Jesus glasses on because if I'm not wearing the Jesus glasses, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck up what I'm reading. And that's, that's, you know, that's what we, where we have to, where we have to go. You can't read, you know, a flat reading of scripture will always yield a, a religious, legalistic, hard um, result. It, but if you put on your Jesus glasses, then you start seeing the nuances. You start seeing the shadow, the shading. You start seeing the dimensions, the depth, you know, you see the colors. That's what you see. Right. And, and, and so, I think that we've made a mistake in 
and turning the Bible into an icon, and then on top of that, uh, rendering it as a as a flat um, object, absent of any nuance. And there are tons of them. Um, and and you know, I'll, I'll never forget this when when I saw this because I had read the Bible so many times, read different versions of it, read it in different languages, and and then I, I saw this and it hit me like right in the forehead like you've heard it said but i say that was a turning point for me that was a beginning of deconstruction for me because i'm like okay wait a second jesus is saying that everything that you heard up to this point is all bullshit i'm going to show you the way forward and and that's and that's where we have to get to i mean you know when whether we look at how the church sees the lgbtq community how the church sees race relations how the church uh sees um human rights in general how it sees any of these things we have to say okay first of all where are we what where where are we what is our our current geographical location and and that geographical geographical location is in christ right so from, from being in Christ, now let's try to navigate what is the way forward from in Christ? What is, what is the path ahead look like in Christ? And, and if, we, if we don't, you know, if we, if we say, okay, our position is in Moses, or our position is in David, or our position is in Job, then we're going to not, we're, our, our, G, our GPS is screwed up. Right. Right. And, yeah. and there and there is no way to uh, to get forward from there. Right. We get stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it's it's like, it's like trying to drive a car sitting backwards. Yeah. You know, we're always looking back, um, which is which is 100 percent where I believe the church is at now. You know, we're looking back and especially here in the south, you know, I'm in Texas everyone's about heritage, which mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, most of us are white. We're Anglo-Saxon. We come from Europe. We don't have a lot of heritage here. I'm sorry. It doesn't <laughs> exist. And I know that and I'm okay with that, you know? Um, and so, but we're always looking back. And so we're really attracted and addicted to what was because we feel like yeah. if we change what was, we're not paying respect or homage to the forefathers who built it. Right. But maybe the intention from some of them wasn't really to have what they have, but to make it better, you know, because like when we leave our parents home, um, most, most parents, not all want you to do better than they did. You know, Mm -hmm. they try to give you a better life, better financials, better, whatever they can, um, to give you something better than they had, you know, like, uh, I, I keep telling my wife, I got a promotion at work and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm really happy we've been able to not let our kids know they're poor, you know, cause like yeah. growing up, I knew I was poor. I knew, I, I knew it. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to do for my kids was let them know, even though we might be poor, they're never going to know. They're never going to have that weight and that burden. And, and so I, I feel like that's where the church isn't doing that where they're going. We're here. We like it here because we don't got to do anything. So yeah, we're just going to do this, you know, and then that became the older generation, thus with the money and in a church, you know, I've been through a lot of church planning stuff and and you've been a pastor. So you understand this. You need two things to make a church successful, young people to keep it moving forward and old people to pay the lights. Yeah. 
you know, and, and that's just what it, and that's what you're taught. Um, and so I have high hopes for Gen Z and, and other millennials um, and even the older generations um, because there's a lot of, you know, boomers out there who are going, I'm sorry, I'm late to the party. I'm yep. sorry it took so long. I am sorry I didn't see it that way. And then they're having those, you know, slap on the head moments where they're going like, yep. oh my God, really? I, I was, I look, I look like that when I said that. Yeah, you did. You did, grandpa, you know, <laughs> um, but it's okay. Um, yep. And so going forward, like, you know, we're, again, we're in the South and LGB or uh, BLM, there was a march here. Yeah. And there was one church that is a more progressive church. It's more of a, it's like a, a fundamental, fundamentalist version of the emergent church. Mm. So they're like a couple, they're a couple conversations away from being everything Brian McLean has ever written, um, <laughs> you know, or Pete ends like, like they're just a couple conversations away from being there, but they're still would be considered fundamentalist to anyone in that movement, you know? Sure. Um, and so like they're, they supported it and got involved with it and did it. But every other church was very like, well, say the Methodist Methodist stay out of a lot of stuff. Um, so we're kind of pushing back, you know, a lot of the people who went to the cowboy church here were like, yeah, they better stay on their line. And I'm like, what, yeah. is, what is that supposed to mean? You know, that that's loving. That's looking at people through, like you were saying, you know, the, the glasses of Jesus, that's going mm -hmm. love. Well, heritage. Okay. So racism, you know, yeah. um, but let's talk about that for a minute. Um, racism in church, because I believe American Christianity is responsible for 99% of racism in America. Um, and I hate to admit that out loud because it saddens me. So knowing we, we call on a savior named Jesus who preached love and forgiveness and people are people treat them like people. Um, well, I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to walk back the whole concept of Jesus as savior. And, and, and that's a hard one because um, when you, when you say Jesus is savior, okay, who did he save exactly? Now, if you look at it from a fundamentalist view, it's call on the name of the Lord. They're right. the ones who are saved. Then if you go on the other end of the spectrum to the universalist, the universalist says, well, okay, everyone is saved, right? Right. But, but it's Jesus saved someone. So why does Jesus save anyone? And again, when you, when you get to the, the universalist end of the spectrum, well, Jesus saves everyone because he loves all of humanity. And, and, I, and I can get down with that. That, that. that appeals to me. But the, on the fundamentalist end of the spectrum, it's like Jesus saves those who behave right. uh, according to a particular standard. And, and so what that does is now you say, okay, behavior is the demarcation of those who Jesus will save and Jesus and those who Jesus will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I knew you not. Right. And, yeah. and then once you get to that, you can define, okay, who are the saints and who are the sinners? Okay. Now you can say, okay, if you're, if you're not, um, you know, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and, and adhere to this, then you're on the outs with God. 
right? You, you, it, it, in other words, if you're black, you have to work extra hard to, to be saved. Or if you're Native American or if you're Latino, you have to work extra hard. Or hell, even if you're a white Catholic, you have to work extra hard. You know, right? Uh, because the, the salvation just it, it really isn't for you, but God is just going to show you mercy, you know, because you're you you understand how wretched you are and how hard you have to try. And when we take away Jesus as Savior and we say, okay, what is Jesus then? Well, I like to say that Jesus is the prototype of divine humanity. So in other words, Jesus is what we're supposed to look like or we're supposed to be like. And, and now it's not a behavior thing. It's more a state of being. Right. In other words, I'm just simply Christ in me. I'm in Christ. Therefore, in him, I live and move and have my being. And through him, I exist. Through him, I do. Through him, I, I, I manifest God in the earth. So when, when we do that, it takes away the us versus them mentality. And, and it's the us versus them mentality that is at the root of racism. So if we, if we take that away from a spiritual sense, now we can back away from it in the natural sense that, that there is, you know, instead of there is no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, uh, slave nor free, but all are one in Christ Jesus, we can say there's no black, no white, there's no Latino, there's no Asian there's no Hindu, there's no uh, Navajo. We can say all of that because all are truly one in Christ Jesus because we're not looking at Jesus as savior anymore, but as the prototype of what humanity is supposed to look like. So when we get there, when we get there, now we can start having an intellectually honest discussion about race and how, how the, the silos of race are structured in this country. And we can start saying, okay, Yes, this is, you know, like I, I, I think that between the two of us, right, honestly, we have the best hair in the, on the Internet. I would agree with you that. Know, I, I would you, agree you, with that. Yeah, you, you've, got, <laughs> you've got this awesome, you know, and I, I, I would guess that your hair is like kind of blondish at the roots, but it's like, you know, you got this pink tint and, and, and this cool cut shaved on one side, you know, combed over on the <laughs> other. It is boss, man. It's completely badass. And I have dreadlocks, right? Now, Here's here's the thing that that your hair to me is absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous. Thank you. And I'm like I'm looking at that like holy fuck that is so badass, right? And and so but I think that my dreads are pretty cool, but the thing is, they is are. That <laughs> I I appreciate the beauty in your in your physical being. I'm not trying to, you know, to uh make you uh, make you blacker or make me whiter or, or, right. you know, that right. I'm, I'm appreciating you, your appearance right where you are. And then, you know, I, I look at you as, as being a rebel in a fundamentalist uh, environment. And I'm like, wow, that is completely boss. That is completely badass. And so I'm, 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 I'm an admiration of that. Right. So so in doing this, just in these little things, I tear down a whole bunch of silos that I may have had, you know, what I may, you know, what I may have previously thought about about young white people, for example. Right. Oh, or yeah. or young people from Texas or young right. people with multicolored hair. I, I, all of these all of these silos get torn down because now I'm not I'm not seeing you through. I'm, in, in other words, I'm not uh, I'm not 
focusing on your difference as a difference or as a way for me to categorize you, but I'm looking at this, that this is a beautiful, diverse interpretation of, of humanity. So when we get to that, right, now we can look at, we can look at people because people say, oh, I'm colorblind. And whenever I hear that, I'm like, ah, I want to puke. No, Agreed. I don't want to be colorblind. God gave us color because it's awesome. He gave us different hair textures Agreed. because it's awesome. And, and so, so my thing is I want to embrace it. I want to celebrate it, man. I want, I, you know, I'm like, I want to get yeah. you on my podcast so that everybody <laughs> can see your cool hair. You see what I'm saying? That's what, um, that's where, where I am right now. So, so when we start talking about race and breaking up race, the first thing that we have to do is we have to break up the things that distinct, that, that, that separate us spiritually let's get rid of that, tear that down. And now we began to say, okay, if I see you spiritually. And so I, 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 this, this is my favorite word these days. Namaste. Namaste. I see the God in you. I see the light in you. So that means I respect, I honor, I love. That means I worship you. I give you worship. And, and, and so I see you as divine and because I love God, I honor God, I love the God in me, I honor the God in me, that means that I don't want to do anything to offend or hurt you because if I do that to you, I'm doing it to me because I see us both as divine. So that's, I mean, well, I mean, but, but again, you see that echoed in the scriptures. You're, you're, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto exactly. you. That it's is there. It, that's it. Again, it's too. This is too damn simple, Derek. Like, the, this you is know what I say. People, people are so busy trying to read between the lines that they miss what's actually on the lines. And 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 I always say I use this as an illustration because when you re, when you try to read between the lines, this is what you get. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, hell yeah! I mean, it's again taking that down. And, you know, I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but like just hearing once we get past the dependence, not, not even the dependence, but like the, the box yep. that, that, that is the, the, that Jesus is as savior, that box, we put that in where we have to step into this box. And if we step out of this box, we're not, but if we're in the box, we are automatically creates that divide that alone, thus creating the domino effect of more divides. Um, like like sitting here and just rolling that through real time it's it's something we we've, we've been taught to do though like we've been taught that that is normal you know like like this is this is what people do and you know uh, i was a father at a very young age i have a 10 year old a 7 year old and a 3 year old at 31 wow. you know so like and then been married for a little bit now um and so you know, I started life young and that's what we want to do. We want to get it over with, you know, get it out of the way yeah. and, and enjoy life older. Um, but experiencing, you know, raising kids and realizing, you know, like we, with my oldest, we didn't want the, anyone to buy her pink. And this was even like, this is, I think the roots of deconstruction started. We didn't want anyone to buy her anything pink because we didn't want someone to push on her, her gender identity that she is a girl. Yes. And, you know, she, her name's Jocelyn and it's a very effeminate name, but we don't want to push on her identity is pink. Yeah. We want to, we want her to decide that. 
Like we want her to decide. Now she is the most girly girl, one of the most girly girls ones we have. And she's beautiful and amazing in that. And that is who she is. But she decided that. And, you know, recently we started watching her, how she interacts with kids, um, you know, people of color. It's drastically different than me and my wife did when we grew up, you know, because we grew up in that box where, yes, I had friends that were from uh, Tonga land. I had Latino friends. I had some black friends. You know, I had growing up, I had all these things, but mentally I'm still in this box because there's some difference for whatever reason. I, I didn't know why, but I knew I was told there's difference, but watching yeah. my daughter, just because of the simple fact we didn't push a, a color on her like pink mm-hmm. has changed her dynamic of how she interacts with other kids. Yeah. That simple thing, this one itty bitty domino changed it all where she, she literally doesn't know anyone who's not her friend. Everyone is her friend. Everyone yep. is, is her, her person that she wants to get to know and love. Um, and we allow her to you know, um, like, like do it. Yeah. And, and realizing, and then connecting that with what you're saying. I mean, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard as a, as a not yet fully deconstructed Christian, I guess you'd say to like hear that and, and let that sink in, but I can't just cast it out either. Yeah. Because, because like when you start connecting those dots and you see the full picture that again, people have got in them, and we need to love them. Thus, if I don't love someone just because mm-hmm. they're different, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. Um, so I'm, of course, um, with my hair, I'm, I'm incredibly effeminate. Like, I do my hair more than my wife does. Um, <laughs> and I take care of it better and all this other stuff, you know. Um, and um, so I, I, so what I have is technically a Nordic cut. It's, it's very Viking-esque. Whatever. Okay. Well, the reason you shave one side of your head is if you lose a parent. Now, that's the history. I still have both my parents. Um, and so, but the culturally, that's why it happens. And yeah. so, when I look at people, um, I want to know their culture and everything about them yeah, because it exactly. makes them tick. And I am like obsessed with, you know, like you and your dreads, I'm obsessed with the understanding, the care that goes in because I, there's a crap ton of care that goes into making those right. And, you know, I've watched video after video um, and I still don't understand it all because it's not my culture, but I need it to be my culture. Not, or I don't, I said that wrong. I need it to be part of my biome of people, you know, and I'm starting to learn more and more that the further I distance myself from always having to use the Bible or Jesus the further yeah. I'm actually getting to know what that is. Yep. And now you, you talked about black lives matter and, and I want to bring something up because this is really a great story because people say, Oh, well, Jesus never talked about social justice. And when they say that, I always, <laughs> I call bullshit on it because have you, you know, the, the parable, the parable of the good Samaritan, that's the best example, right? Is this like, okay, you got this dude, and he's got the crap kicked out of him and he's laying on the side of the road. Now a priest walks by him. This is the, the most elite of people, right? It's the elite people. And the, the, the priest walks by him, you know, and then a Levite, which the Levite, in order for you to be a priest, you must be a Levite. Right. So the Levites are like the cream of the crop of the people of the common man. Right. right. So, so, so basically here's, here's your story. You have, you have an Italian guy that's that's been beat up and left for dead 
right? And then you have this white dude uh, who's, who's avoiding him. And then you have a white preacher, you know, a, a fundamentalist preacher. Uh, so let's, let's call him Franklin Graham. Uh, Ooh, <laughs> shots pa- fired. <laughs> that passes by <laughs> on the other side of the street. But the guy who shows up to help him is a guy named Tyrone. You know, in other words, the, the Samaritans were the dregs of society. They were the worst. They were worse than the Roman occupiers. The, the Samaritans were the guys that would drink from the colored water fountains back in the day of Jesus, right? So here Jesus takes the story of, of, of rescue, healing, and protection and makes the hero of the story a black dude. You know, so, and, and, and I'm, I, it's really, the, you know, it's kind of fluid. It's not, you know, it's racially fluid. You could inject, right. inject whichever race, wherever you want, but I'm just using it, as, you know, from, from my point of understanding. Right. Basically, Jesus makes the hero of the story, this guy who would be otherwise reviled by society. And he makes him the hero. So, so, so Jesus is absolutely concerned about social justice. He's absolutely concerned about, uh, about, uh, about dealing with things racially. Uh, and, and I think about the, the story of the Syrophoenician woman who's trying to get healing for her daughter. And, and, uh, and, and so Jesus says, you know, it's not meat to give, um, you know, to, uh, to, to, to give crumbs to the dogs and, or, 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 and basically the, the lady says, well, even the, even the dogs get to lick up the crumbs, you know, and, and Jesus is moved by that. Well, I don't think that Jesus was really making a, um, a judgment about her ethnicity right? or even saying that this, that what I'm doing is only for the Jews. What Jesus is doing is he's using some hyperbole to illustrate to the people who are, are watching this happen because they would look at her as a dog. They would look at her as unworthy. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to play along with that, but I'm going to give her what she needs because I'm here to show you that I'm not here just to do things for you. And, right. and that's part of the problem with American fundamentalism, with Christianity, is that for, for, for all of American history, it's always belie- been believed that God favors white people. And that God is going to do things for white people and white Christians that he's not going to do for everyone else. But if you go back and you look at the story, you see clearly that Jesus has a heart for people that are on the outs, that, that are outsiders. The, the, uh, the Roman centurion, the Roman centurion says, look, uh, you know, my servant's sick. Can you do something for him? And Jesus said, come on, man, let's, let's go to him. And, and the, and the centurion says, well, wait a second, Jesus, you know, um, I'm really not worthy. I know who you are. I know what you can do. And, and, you know, I don't, I'm really not worthy for you to come under my roof, but if you speak the word, my servant will be good. And he does. And, and so Jesus, then Jesus says to his disciples who are observing this, I've never seen faith like this anywhere in Jerusalem. In Mm. other words, you know, the, uh, from our oppressor, (laughs) I see greater faith than I do from you guys. That's heavy. Mm. And so, so Jesus hit on that. That's just two examples of how Jesus dealt with, um, you know, social justice. So, so the thing is, is that when, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, again, just like the LGBTQ community, I don't believe that the church has missed it. Uh, I, I believe that, that there is an opportunity still for them to redeem themselves. But 
I know like uh, one of the things that we had talked about prior to the show was, okay, so what is the end result? And honestly, I'm like, Clay, let's burn the whole fucking thing down. Let's I mean, do it, honestly, man. let's, let's, <laughs> let's burn it down and, and, and start from Jesus as the chief cornerstone and let's build on that. Let's, let's build the church the way he said, because I really believe that now we have better information. We have better understanding. We have better tools. We're more literate. We all have a, a, the opportunity to really understand this. And so now we can actually build this thing up into something beautiful. But, um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I was, I was once, um, uh, doing, I had a, a job to do, um, hardwood floors in an old funeral home and this, and this funeral home was over a hundred years old and, 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 and they had these hardwood floors and they were beautiful. They were shiny and all of that, but the owner of the, uh, of the funeral home is a family funeral home had been in their family for, for over a hundred years. Uh, you know, I said, Hey, what we want is we want to, we want to have the floor sanded down and refinished. You know, because we've just been putting, you know, different finishes. We've been putting varnishes and shellacs and urethane finally on this. And we want to get it down to, to, to its, you know, to its bare uh, beginning. And so what we, what we found was that it, it took us seven days to completely sand this floor down, down to bare wood. And what we saw, it was hand scraped wood. And, and there, were, there, there were like gilded edges around the perimeter of the floor with hand-cut floor delices at every corner. Oh, wow. It was absolutely stunning. And, and, and I think that there were like maybe four different kinds of wood that were used in the, in the planking of this floor. So oh, wow. once we got done and we, and we put a, a coat of urethane over it, you could see all of this glorious detail. That is what's happened with Jesus over the years. Jesus began as this chief cornerstone, this beautiful slab of, of slate or marble or, or whatever stone you want to envision. And then somebody comes along a generation after Jesus dies and they say, you know, I think this stone would be beautiful if we made it orange. And so they make it orange and, and, it's, and, and, they, and everybody agrees that it's good, but then another generation passes and they say, you know, I think we should make it purple. And so they paint it purple and everybody's pleased with the way it looks and on and on and on and on and on until finally the stone itself is no longer recognizable. It's, it's original uh, uh, structure or, it's, or the, the, um, the, the uh, composition of the stone is no longer recognizable. So in order to get down to the beauty of the stone, all this veneer has got to be destroyed. It's got to be taken off. Then we get down to the beauty of the stone and we see it for what it is. And now we say, okay, that is it. Let's build on that. And let's, let's agree at least today that we're not going to change it again. And if we Dude, do that, amen. you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, um, pride and LGBTQ and, um, and, and, and things about Native Americans, Latin Americans and all this other stuff, you know, men, women, it, it, it won't matter because we're starting from this foundation of this beautiful stone that we all agree should be the focal point of what we build on. That is a hundred percent, man. I am a hundred percent with you on it. I will be happy to take the first torch and, and just, just burn it down. Um, and yeah, 
um, like I was, you know, uh, me, me and the wife were talking about, about that the other night, you know, should we just, and this was with America, but the church in America has been pretty much the same thing for a long time. Again, we started from Protestants coming over and, you know, high legalism and burning people because they knew how to take two wild herbs together and heal a rash, you know, that was witch. Um, and, and so we burned people for that. Um, cause we what didn't if there's even better that. than that. What if somebody knew how to fly or what if right? somebody had the power to, uh, of telekinesis and they had this power and they could teach others. What if they were, because I'm, I'm thinking that it was really something deep like that because you know, whether somebody can do herbs and, and heal somebody, well, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that's fair good. enough. But, but, but let's say somebody can make fire appear in their hands and, right. they, and, and, and they, and they teach like one of these women teaches a little girl how to do the same thing and said, mommy, look at what, look at what Miss so-and-so taught me how to do. That is like, oh my God. <laughs> fair enough. No. Yeah. And, and so, but we were based on this whole thing. Um, from go so so when we look at it so we were talking about you know should we tear down the constitution and everything and i'm like at first i'm like no but i'm like and then i got to the point we can tear it down to its its platform you know when you build a house you pour the platform the foundation and that's it then it depends on what type of house you're building and how sturdy it will be when you set the cornerstones once you set those cornerstones that's what you're deciding how this house is going to be how is it going to fare through weather? How is it going to do all this stuff? How is it going to age well? Yep. Exactly. The foundation is still good, just like you're talking about with this this marble, beautiful thing of Jesus. And we've coated just all these different paints and, you know, melted crowns over it and all this other crap. Yep. You know, when we get down to the base and it's just there, we can start again. But I 100% agree we do have to agree we're not going to change it this time because once we do that, the moment we change it, we're just restarted the cycle. That's it. It's lather, rinse, repeat, you know, and, and I I said on my live cast today um, that I'm at the point now where I say, okay, like with the U S constitution, I think that we should actually uh, convene another constitutional convention and basically start all over. And we're starting from the same premise that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are equal, created uh, with certain inalienable rights by their creator. And and that if we start with that as a premise, but this time it, it won't just be white landowning males that, right. that are sitting at the table, it, it, that there will be blacks, that there will be natives, that there will be Latinos, that there will be gays, that there will be women, that all will sit at this table and they will all hash this out and decide, okay, what is our country going to look like going forward? But again, with everybody seated at the table, because see, one of the interesting things is, is that our constitution has been heavily amended. Mm-hmm. And, and so these amendments have been added on because we, we acknowledge we missed something. Okay, but the 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 problem with amendments is that the same process that there is for creating an an amendment, there is also the ability to rescind or uh, to um, uh, to basically contraindicate um, an amendment. So now, if we start from the beginning, that all of these things that we consider to be sacrosanct in the Bill of Rights, uh, that are sacrosanct in, in, in future amendments, that we say, okay, we're starting and we're going to take a document and we're going to bake in all of this goodness right. from the beginning. 
and, and not 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 amend it. We're we're going to really think this through. We're going to take time, and, and we're going to um, you know put this thing before the people. Uh, but you know at the same time we're going to do it expeditiously because what happens is if you drag it over too long, people change their mind. The the framers of the Constitution were able to uh, to write and to ratify a constitution, I believe, in four years. Wow. So I so with, with with this being the information age and everything, I believe that we could actually do it sooner than that or faster than that. Um, but if if we do that, uh, and and then the other thing too is that um, you know we had this thing that was quote unquote the separation of church and state, which doesn't really exist. No, um, not basically. Slightest. That, that came from a, uh, a speech that Thomas Jefferson gave uh, after he was the president of the United States uh, because there was a concern about all of these German Baptists coming over to the United States and the Baptists were gaining in power and they thought that these Baptists would eventually take over the country and, and that, that it would become a theocracy. And so that was why Jefferson said that it had nothing to do with, with uh, not having the church uh, being having a seat at the table, but at the same time that if we if we allow the church, the Christian church, to have a seat at the table, then we also have to give a seat at the table to the Muslims and to the Jews and you know uh, to the Scientologists even. But you know <laughs> everybody that you know that that everybody has a seat at the table. Why? Because this it, we you know we truly believe e pluribus unum out of one many or out of many right. one. You know, right. that, we're, that we want to bring this all together. And, and if we can get to this, right, if we, can, if we can approach this with some candor and intellectual honesty, that I believe that, we, that all of the ills of, of racism and, and all of that, I believe that we can put all of these things to rest because we will have crafted something that from the beginning included everyone, that everyone was represented and that everyone's interests were considered. So that's where I am with that. So I'm, I'm basically, let's burn the constitution down to the ground too. And, uh, and you know, there, there were people, there would be people that accused me of treason and sedition for that, uh, but it's not, you know, I'm, I'm ex-military, I'm seven years Navy. And, um, and, and I, and I served for the right of people to voice what they believe, right? whether I believe it or not. Right. And that's, and that's the crazy thing. So like, Looking at it, so like saying, um, you know, let's burn it down, let's restart, let's not. We're not talking about getting rid of everything. We're just talking about a restart button. What do you do when your computer freezes? Control, you restart delete. the damn thing. You yep. just, you just, you just get rid of it. You're, and you're done. You know, and but obviously it's wrong to do that when something like a country is going far south. Well, we'll just let it play out. It'll, uh, you know, we'll get a, uh, you know an immunity from it or something maybe later. I don't know. We'll figure it out. You know, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in being proactive, right? Mm -hmm. You know what, what, where we are now, we're in a reactive state. Every we're reacting to black lives matter. We're reacting right. to COVID we're reacting to, uh, to international pressure. Well, if, if we get to the point where we can be proactive and we say, okay, we're going to think ahead. We're going to anticipate these things. And then we're going to, we're going to work through them instead of, in, in, instead of having to, uh, to counterpunch everything. Right. You know, we're, uh, we're, we're going to do things in a holistic manner rather than just trying to treat symptoms. And that's where we need to be. And if we can get to 
excuse me, all of these, you know, the, the things, you know, dealing with racism, dealing with sexism, dealing with, with pandemics, even that, that we, we now have a plan in place. Right. And, and not only that, because of how we structure the plan, we make sure that we get the right people. You know, that, that, that we don't have career politicians, that we don't have entrenched people, that we don't get the worst of humanity, but instead we get the best and the brightest. That, that um, uh, you know, and, and that, and that um, one of the most beautiful things I think about George Washington is that George Washington, when they, want, when they drafted him to be president, the American people wanted a king. They, they were back to old Israel. Give us a king. Give us a king. Right. And George was like, no, he, he, George Washington fancied himself as the Roman general Cincinnatus. In other words, he would, he, would, he would go out and he would do his military duty for the nation and then he would return to his farm and live out his days as a farmer. That was what George Washington's <laughs> vision for for pol- for politi- or for political service was, right. and and so everybody was expected to be like George. Everybody was supposed to have the Cincinnati mentality. You go in, you do your service for the country, and then you go back to doing what it is that you were doing before. And and if again, if we bake all of that in, we take out the entrenchment, we take out the entitlements, we take out all of these things, and again, we get down to the purity of what the American model should look like. And the American model, it, it should look like love. Because if we're, if we're truly going to be the city on a hill, if we're truly going to be a beacon in the world, instead of trying to be a Christian nation, let's try to be the nation that really reflects and manifests love in all of its doings. Dude, amen, man. Like that is that is incredibly profoundly powerful that we we don't need to be the nation of Jesus. We don't need to be the nation of America. We need to be the nation of love. That exactly. that is that is because that's that's that is that is achievable. But being yep. the nation of the Bible or of the Quran or Buddha teachings or whatever we throw happened. in there, we're never going to reach it because someone's always going to find a new hoop that our asses have to now jump through. Even though right. they said, hey, this is the last hoop. We're going to make it after this hoop. Well, yep. now there's this one. It's incredibly small and it's on fire. Have fun. Um, <laughs> you know, and so that's an achievable goal. Just a nation of love because if we do love and we we just seek love for people we will retroactively do all those things we were trying to do to begin with exactly because love goes along with jesus and goes well if you're doing that you're doing this goes along with buddhist teaching of love people and for for you know to become one with self you must love and care and deny your selfishness you know yep. um even with islam Islam's very caring of love people, yep. you know, um, and, and, and very caring to respect and honor of people and Judaism, you have to empathize. Pretty much every, every yeah. faith on, on earth is really respectful and tolerant of others except Americanized Christianity because American, Americanized Christianity is highly weaponized. And anything that's weaponized, you know, has a potential for destruction. So, so what, what I would like to see is I'd like to see the weaponization uh, taken away 
uh, from it. You know, like one of the things we talk, we're talking about now defunding the police and defunding the police doesn't mean just getting rid of police departments or taking away their funding right. completely. What it does is says it, it takes away the, the militarized uh, component of it. It takes away the weaponized component of it <laughs> and, and really turns it into a community effort. Yep. Well, if we do the same thing, if we take the weaponization out of Christianity and, and bring it back to love what Jesus wanted it to be, uh, what, and I don't even think Jesus really wanted Christianity. Jesus wanted wanted love. You know that right. it, it was like that was was that was his thing. So if we get back to what Jesus was teaching, and and understanding love from the standpoint of being equally divine and equally human, that that means that I recognize that I have power, I have authority, but I also recognize the power, the authority, and I, I recognize the beauty, the worth, the value, the honor in you. Right. And, and that's, um, that's my story and I'm sticking to it, Clay. <laughs> Man, I love it. That is amazing. And uh, I don't know. I felt like I've been to church now and um, I've gotten <laughs> front road, um, but I'm okay with that. Um, I have a crap ton to think about. Um, and, and this conversation has, I don't know, it has it has twisted my soul in a different way and has transformed a thought process and like opened up a, a portion of me. It just thinking oh, through man. what you're talking about and it's, it's, it's transformed that, you know, like I was missing the key to that section of, of my soul. Well, I, I think you've helped unlock that and guide that. Hey, oh, man, that, I'm this is a thing. Um, and like, I don't know. It, it's incredibly, it's, it's blasphemously profound. <laughs> and I am a hundred percent about that life, um, you know, and, but it's done in such a way, you know, because like, you're right. Like, so I, I came into this whole podcasting thing in this walk in deconstruction as a weaponized anti-Christian Christian, you know, because I carried yeah. that weaponization and now I'm learning the older I get and the tired I get that one, I don't got time to fight that fight anymore. I got work in the morning. I don't got time to have a bar fight right now as much as I want to, I ain't got it. That, that I don't have to do those things that I got to you know, love. Me, let me tell you a tale of, of two martial arts instructors, <laughs> right? Cause I, I'm, I'm a lifelong martial artist. And, yeah. and so when I was, when I was living in Detroit, I had a friend, his name was Kenny and Kenny was my Sifu and he was a Kempo instructor. He was a Kempo master and he learned it in Okinawa while he was in the Marine Corps. And so, um, Kenny was a, a Kempo master with a drinking problem and a bad attitude. In other <laughs> words, he was a walking time bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and I've seen, I've seen Kenny hurt people really badly, you know, and, and I would always try to, to be, Hey, listen, guy, you know, listen, this is not the guy you really want to fuck with. You know, you really want to just go home and, 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 you know, go home with all your fingers, you know, with both of your ears, you know, go home whole because, right. you know, you'll live to fight another day. But if you want to go down this path, it's going to end badly for you. And, 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 and I can't tell you how many times I saw Kenny hurt people, but I want to fast forward um, uh, about 10 years into the future and and I was studying under a guy named Brad, and Brad was a was a, a, a he taught the warrior's way method, which uh, tra which traces his lineage back to 
uh, Ipman, who was the stu- the the, tu- the uh, teacher of Bruce Lee. Oh, so okay. it's like my my martial artist lineage actually, you know, that road goes through Bruce Lee, which is really right. awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. But it, you know, Brad was was a guy that you know he was physically fit, but he was not big. He was not a tall guy. He he was a handsome guy, but he was not a supermodel. Right. Uh, and 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 he was a very humble guy, very quiet. And 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 you know, I was with Brad one time, we, we stopped at a supermarket after work, just picking up some things on the way home. And, 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 and a guy was got really sideways with Brad. And, and Brad could have hurt this guy just like Kenny hurt people. But Brad was like, hey, listen, let me put my arm around you, this guy and talk to him, you know, and, 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 and make a friend out of him. And, and so, um, so I was like, I said, Sifu, I said, what is that? He said, you know, basically he said, you know, you just saw me kick somebody's ass, man. <laughs> you know, and, and I, and I get it. It was, it's like, so, so the thing is, is that you can weaponize something and you can make it effective or you could take the way of peace and, and the way of peace can disarm as effectively as any weapon can dude dude that's you got to stop this like you got to stop just dropping these these bombs um because i don't know if the 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 internet can handle it um (laughs) (laughs) yeah um (laughs) the weaponization of love um yeah and it can and i think we've lost that um but i am overwhelmed with honestly joy seeing people championing championing oh my words today um showing my homeschooler uh the the way (laughs) of love uh the way of love and and going yes i am passionate and i am aggressive but i'm aggressively going to love you because that's what what that's what we need to be doing do i want to punch you in the face right now Mm, yeah yeah i really do Mm -hmm. but but am i going to man that depends Mm. on some things but probably not yeah because (laughs) probably not having dinner with you and getting to know you yeah changes changes your world and it can change mine you know um and i i think that's wonderful um and i am again overjoyed and humbled and enlightened and and taken aback by everything you have said um, so far in this in this hour and almost half we we've been talking here, and uh, and I could not be more grateful um, and and humbled by by what you talked about, um, and I think I, I think this is honestly this is going to be the message going forward. Um, yeah this is going to be the message of a generation going forward. I hope, you know, like my, my prayers to God that this will be the generation. This will be their anthem of, we want to love you. We'll, we'll stand in that gap and we'll, we'll make sure people are protected and they're okay, but we need to love them. Um, Absolutely. And so I thank you again for being willing to come on, to come on uh, the Reapcast and, you know, talk um, and listen to me ramble. I, I appreciate that um, very, very much. Good, I loved it. And uh, and yeah. And where can people find you? Again, I know you said it in the front, but where can people find you everywhere? Yep. 
you can you can find me on my website at www.derekday.com and i encourage you to click the link called contact and it'll <laughs> pop up a form and you can populate the form and hit send and it'll send me an email and whether you love me or hate me or whether you think that i'm a saint and, or you, <laughs> you think i'm a complete dick i will respond to you um uh, you can also uh, get my book, Deconstructing Religion, on Amazon.com. It's it's there. It's on paperback or in, and, and also on Kindle. Uh, you can check out my podcast. Uh, I have two podcasts. I'm part of the Heresy, the Heretic Happy Hour uh, with uh, with Keith Giles, Katie Valentine, and Matt DiStefano. Um, and it's absolutely awesome. It's absolutely on fire. You don't want to miss it. Like it, subscribe it, and all of that. And then also my podcast, which is called Love Forward, which you can find on iTunes on uh, Podbean and Spotify. Um, and then also my blog, uh, which is called Love Minus Religion on Pathios.com. So I think that that pretty much covers how you can how you can reach me. And I look forward to hearing from you. Um, I don't know it all. I, I don't have all the answers. I just have a set of really good questions. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and in, the, in the words of my friend Kyle Butler, uh, Kyle says, thinking is good. And so it, it, it's not my job to try to, or my desire to even make you think like me, but just that I prompt you to think. And if I do that, uh, mission accomplished. Hell yeah. Well, you heard him, Reapcasters. Go check him out. Get his book. Um, go tell him you love him or you hated him either way. Um, and go go listen. Go, um, go be a part of that. Um, it's an amazing group of podcasters um, and, and go, go listen to Derek's own show. It's an amazing thing. Um, and go get loved on. Like, don't, don't be scared, you know, cause that's all, that's all you're going to get. You're going to get loved on. Um, oh, and again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and thank you for having me, Clay. I really no, appreciate it. No problem. All right. Recatchers. Well, it's been another great episode. Um, you know where you can find us. You can find us on uh, the Simplecast. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You know where to get your Reapcast at. And remember, also go over um, if you love what we're doing here and become part of our patrons, become one of our patrons and you know show some love there. Um, we have some really great things for you there and we're going to be adding more. Um, and also remember to go and like, subscribe, and download the Theta Gray Network. There's a bunch of other great podcasts in the network um, from the Theta Gray crew. Um, there's mental. There's just so many good things um, out there. And there's something for everyone in the network. Um, and you can find that on iTunes. Um, just be sure to give us a star review and tell us what you think. Um, and as well as the recast on there as well. Uh, but we love you guys, and uh, this has been the Reapcast. Y'all have a good one. When all the beaches dry up all of the parties are over, will you still love me? Will you still love me? Ah, ah, ah. So-